hello and welcome along to the Good Growth Podcast. Today we'll be discussing leadership, innovation uh, and growth in retail, specifically looking at the lifestyle clothing retailer Fatface and also with an insight into how they've operated and traded through the global pandemic, which is why my guest today is the Global Operations Director of Fatface, Mark Wright. Welcome to you, Mark. Thank you very much, Dan. Good morning to you and uh, good morning to any, anybody that has tuned in to listen. <laughs> uh, and how are you? you? Are you well? Do you know what? I'm really good. I, it's been a heck of a year, I think, for all of us trying to adapt to so many things, so many challenges, uh, ways that we run our personal lives, let alone our work lives. Um, but I am feeling a bit more optimistic as we approach the end of this year. Um, I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think you know the, the public mood with the vaccine has definitely picked up. And actually, um, it's been a really tough year for retail with stores doing the hokey cokey uh, throughout the year, being open and closed. You know, we're now out of lockdown too, but with um, different regional tiering, we're still seeing a massive variation in impact across the country. And uh, goodness knows how, uh, how Boris will get on by Sunday, but you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Brexit. But uh, it's, not, it's not been the easiest of years, certainly, Dan. No. <laughs> so we get to talk to you about Fatface and how uh, life has been for Fatface during the pandemic, and, but also how the business has been growing recently. But I'd like to just start a little bit about you. Um, so you came to Fatface from Jack Wills. Uh, and prior to Jack Wills, you spent a long time at, at M&S as well, leading the e-commerce trading team. Could you just give us a bit of background as to what that was like and then what prompted your move into more fashion retail? Yeah, of course. So I have grown up doing bricks retailing first and, and moved into Click. So I joined M&S as a graduate a long time ago. I won't say the date. I sort of had a fairly traditional retail route in terms of store management, regional management, store operations. And I was very fortunate, having done a variety of different store roles, to be asked to go and lead the e-commerce team as head of trading at M&S. And it opened my eyes to a whole new way of retailing, a whole new way of approaching the customer. And I loved it. I loved the fact that you could have instant access to data. You can test things. You can understand patterns using not only good old gut instincts, which I think still has a very important place um, and has done throughout this year. Um, alongside, though, a more data-driven, analytical approach. And I've really enjoyed that about e-commerce. So enjoyed that time and transition at M&S and I guess having done that for a few years and, and um, getting promoted to a senior level two things happened really one I was ambitious to understand what it might be like working in a slightly smaller organization and if I'm honest I was quite frustrated with the way that M&S was operating at that time and, uh, I, I, and I guess I got a little bit closer to a, a senior level and therefore, for a number of reasons, decided to, to move on. And, and Jack Wills was a really interesting business and brand. And it appealed. I had the opportunity to work with Peter Williams, the founder. I'd never done anything like that before. It's pretty high personal risk, actually, having built up a reputation in a big company. But I really enjoyed it. And I learned a whole new set of skills in terms of technical, hands-on, uh, proper end-to-end P&L. And... Um, and also a lot about, I guess, my personal leadership style and, and, and personal brand, you know, what's important to me at work. Uh, so moving on to now your current job title, I suppose, it's Global Operations Director. Can you just give us a bit of a flavour of what the sort of key aspects and your, your roles and responsibilities are uh, as that? 
Yeah, indeed. So, so I regularly get the mickey taken out of me because I've now made it to the grand status of retail god, which I hadn't even tweaked <laughs> when I took the role. So well, that wasn't part of the appeal, uh, but it has it has raised a smile or two. So in terms of global operations director, really, um, having done all those variety of roles throughout my career, it brings those together. And I'm responsible for running all of our stores. So we have currently have over... Um, well over 200 UK stores. We have stores in Ireland and we have over 20 stores in the US. So when I joined the business, that was my primary focus. I also look after our people agenda, uh, which is a little bit different to many organizations. So I've not been an HR director before, but I guess I look after the majority of our employees by running our stores, you know, two and a half thousand employees in stores and, and then through the different offices. And it's something that I'm very passionate about. So that's been uh, a great experience fusing those together. And then more recently, back to e-commerce. So um, a little bit of reorganization in the business just before COVID, not ideal timing, <laughs> um, but I've picked up e-commerce as part of that. So I now look after our own owned selling channels, I guess you would say. It's quite a, a variety. You've got the... Well, I tell yeah. you, uh, come March, at the point that we were closing our stores, mm. fur furloughing employees, which nobody really understood what that meant at that time, so I had to brush up on, on our <laughs> employ employment law quite quickly, and then try and charge super growth into e-commerce, given it's the only selling channel that many retailers had access to. That was quite... A Quite a feisty month, Dan. I, I can I can imagine. Uh, you touched on there that you, uh, Fatface now has over twenty stores in the US, and you've also got a national presence online because you you can ship it to anywhere in, in I guess mainland US. H have you noticed any differences between the US and, and UK customers in the market, uh, particularly online? Yeah, there's been a few. So it's, it's an interesting journey actually. So one thing that Fatface has done brilliantly is identify local market trading opportunities. Uh, throughout the, the locations we trade, which tend to be have high sort of local affinity in terms of market towns or seasonal locations. Um, we've established presence in those towns, traded in them, been linked from a commu local community point of view. And that sort of model has worked really well in the UK, where many people still think the brand is a surf brand, you know, there's a strong association because we have a lot of stores in the southwest um, with you know, Fatface was originally a surf brand. Actually, it wasn't. It was a ski brand that the two founders created uh, for their love of, of skiing. And, and the name comes from La Fasse, which is uh, a famous slope in Val d'Isere. But yeah, then moved into a, a sort of young male adrenaline fueled uh, affinity. And now um, it has quite broad appeal. We are a lifestyle brand. We're a family brand. And in the US, our chosen strategy has been to locate in seasonal locations uh, where there are mainly independent, uh, what, what's um, affectionately referred to over there as mom and pop stores. Mm -hmm. So rather than big chains, it tends to be independent. And, and actually, we fit into that model pretty well. Um, and that formula has worked well in establishing a brand identity and a base in the US. What hasn't happened is joining that with a, a, a really solid multi-channel strategy because the store strength has sort of overshadowed some of the broader opportunity. And that's where we're focusing now, which is it's great that we've got 21 stores regularly shopped um, 
uh, we have a, a fairly iconic sweatshirt known as the Airly internally. And it's not high fashion, but it's extremely versatile, um, appeals to men, women and kids. And that's become a, 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 an association with Fat Faces, this iconic sweat, zip sweatshirt that you can't get anywhere else over there. You know, so, so actually building out from some iconic pieces is, is what's worked well. We haven't done that as well online, and that's something that we're really focusing on at the moment. Uh, and is that a part of a broader strategy then to help improve just the discoverability of the brand in the US? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think because the store formula has worked well and Fatface has always focused on own brand, mm. you know, so we've very much controlled the shopping environment, which has been quite rich. You know, the store experience is quite rich in terms of physical space, how, how um, we manage service in those stores. And, and there's definitely been an association and we haven't done much of that outside, whereas Actually, in the UK, you know, we trade, trade extremely strongly on Next Label. We're now trading with Very, with John Lewis, with Sainsbury's, all as part of their online proposition. Um, and we've got a departmental store we work in with in the US, but there's definitely more opportunity. And it's not actually easy with the name Fatface. Uh, in the US, that has made some some of the sort of association of what is this business, what does it do, uh, particularly when a location strategy in the early days was to be near ice cream parlours <laughs> because of the high footfall. So, um, and, you know, having been over there a few times, you do get a few funny looks at the brand name. Um, yeah. But that that's something that we've worked on, and and over time, you know what what. You know, it's, it's quirky and uh, we have quite a witty sense of humor as a brand so that's definitely starting to get some good cut through yeah perhaps that uh, the american sense of humor initially perhaps wasn't uh didn't quite grasp but then that, that with the name but uh, <laughs> yeah well i think that yeah they have there's a really you know, most of our stores are in new england and there's a great sort of historic link in a, in a sort of positive way around you know the brits uh, and and uh, British values and British traditions. So actually, that's something that we know there is as a positive there. Um, but yeah, we're working on it. Nice, cool. So touching on then the, how Fatface have traded through the pandemic, you briefly mentioned there in the last bit that you design in-house and you have your own, you're more of a lifestyle brand, your casual clothing. Has that helped Fatface as best as it can through this tough period for retailers? Yes, I, I, I think it has, Dan, and we, we are trying to spend time at the moment really understanding some of that. So um, I think there's no doubt we are, where we are known, it's for casual, comfortable clothing in the main. It's, it's not about high style or fashion, and we have a slightly older demographic in the main, and uh, probably a, a sort of middle England who are protected from some of those financial pressures. And I, and I share that because I think all those things are an advantage in what we're going through. We are not selling ties. We're not selling suits, jackets and high heeled shoes. And, and, you know, for obvious reasons, that's more challenging. And through the early stages of lockdown one, in all locations, we saw a step up in um, loungewear. You know, people searching for pyjamas because they were spending a lot of time in them all day. Um, things, you know, items from an anatomical point of view, items that people wear on the top of their bodies. We've definitely seen more investment in those things um, because people are spending so much time on screen. So, you know, these are, these are things you, uh, you never planned for, uh, but you learn along the way in terms of what's happening. And um, 
And I think at the moment, you know, we've seen online searches for Christmas items much earlier than we would ordinarily have seen. We sell bucket loads of socks in our shops every year. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit bit scary how many <laughs> socks we sell. Our socks are great. I'm not going to do a sales pitch, but you know, our socks are great. Um, but I was quite concerned because you know, socks is quite is often quite an impulse purchase. You know, you don't put a lot of time into thinking mm. about buying socks. But actually, that's translated online in the last couple of weeks. Um, the demand has been incredible. So I think um, I think we've been lucky um, to call that out because the consumer uh, spend pattern has shifted into our areas of the market albeit clothing remains challenging and I think one of the other things we work really hard on throughout this is trying to find points of resonance with our customers trying to make sure we are being relevant and also relevant for how people are feeling you know it's quite difficult to think about how we are balancing that right pitch with come and buy new stuff from us with how you're feeling right now and recognizing there are pressures in the market and what Christmas is going to feel like. So I think spending that time get sort of getting in the heads of, of customers, which which is back to my earlier point around that's a combination of using data where you have it, like online searches, and it's it's using really good gut instinct and and think about what it means at the moment, what it means in all of our lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. Regardless uh, of what what uh, industry you're in, the pandemic has certainly changed how businesses operate day to day and and the ability to I guess plan for the long term. How has that changed how you've operated then? And um, I guess you've you've had to do a certain amount of you have to be agile and quite uh, innovational I guess to to get through this, this sort of period. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And actually, I was with our board yesterday. We've spent quite a bit of time talking about this. So. Um, Fat, fat face as a business is quite um, touchy feely. Uh, you know, it's it's very people centric. There's, there's a, a a high degree of energy goes into people being in the same locations, be that stores, be that offices, and very quickly, without really any customer practice of home working or remote working, everybody's been thrown into this world where we spend most of our days talking to people on screen you know talking to people on screen ends up being more transactional than conversational uh, which is sort of a good thing because you get a load of really great business stuff done and it's a lot easier to get through your list um, but, you, but you miss some of that small catch-up conversations i think it's been helpful actually that in the early days of lockdown you know we had less than 50 people working in our business running the business remotely and that was actually a real positive to show visible leadership. So there are people who might have said to anybody, you know, can I have a quick catch up, can I have a cup of tea, cup of coffee, and somebody would strive to get that in the diary and it might happen quickly, it might never happen. Now it's been really easy to just jump on a call with someone, get to know them a bit better, all those sort of things. So I think there's loads of positives from remote working and virtual working. You know, we need to continue to operate in this way. So we've got a COVID safe office. We've got COVID, we've had a distribution center open absolutely uh, throughout every single day. Um, and that presents other challenges of managing capacity and space and those things. Um, and I think um, it's made that there are big dollops of positive stuff around ways of working uh, saving travel money, you know, yeah. uh, giving people some time back. You know, people have managed to use their time differently and be at home, spend some time do, doing 
with the kids picking you know picking up from school all those kinds of nothing there's also some some negatives that come with that which is the impact on all of our mental health and well-being and i guess that's the other angle that this has um, we would i would say we were quite good at this as a business but we've been much better and more open talking about it doing um moments of recognition to catch people when that something has been saying thank you i said this to a mm. friend the other day. i think <laughs> saying thank you has become much more important because i don't think there are any many many if any people trying to do a bad job right now or trying to get something wrong <laughs> yeah. so therefore just you know one of one of my personal like my, my primary um personal rule at the start of this i shared with people was was being human and i and, and i know that's a bit broad and it's a little bit on trend but I, this is not about that. that that for me was about saying throughout this period i knew at the start we we're going to have to make some tough decisions some people were going to lose their jobs some people were going to have good days bad days me included uh, and and if you can start by being human and in touch with people then i think that has carried us really well throughout this period and it's, it's hard to sum that up in words it is in terms of actions i think it shines through when it's most important yeah as you're saying it's that with working from home a lot of businesses we found um ha have become more efficient in the way they work but what you can't lose is that human element of where you previously had a lot more face-to-face -face contact and that i guess as you were touching on there that sense of reward from for the work that you do yeah, and you, uh, what it does, it, exactly that, it becomes really, really efficient in terms of transactional and uh, getting stuff done efficiency. What well, you also lose some of the creativity or sorts of great idea moments that come out of just um, people being around each other. All those, you know, those little moments where you overhear people and yes. and it, it, it causes a, a, an extra conversation. Sometimes those are, those are really good because they connect people, but they also generate some brilliant business ideas. I suppose finishing on that human element, um, I'd like to just touch on how, again, so you like to lead the team and, and what your methods are and, uh, and what your values are. So, how, yeah, how, how do you like to lead and what do you think the priorities for any leader should be in business? Yeah, well, I think if I, I'll try and answer that too, is I think from a, from a COVID point of view, I, I, and I shared this with someone else earlier this year, but um, just before all this started, uh, and I could feel it, it coming as a pandemic. I sort of wrote myself five rules, uh, which I share with the business. They've actually become, they're on our, we, we have a daily business continuity call. And those five rules are on the top of the minutes every day because the team found them really helpful. And I, I operated by them for, for the first six months of the year. So, so put simply, the five rules were, first one was being human, which I've explained. The second one, was to give ourselves as much time as possible. Uh, and what that meant was you get so pressured into making a decision or deciding one thing or the other, that trying to give yourself time, which is the one thing you don't have a lot of when there's a, a business crisis going on, but with you know, different government instructions coming out around guidance, are fitting rooms open, are they closed? Uh, you know, every possible thing. And that's been with different legislation in every country. So that's been a challenge. The third one, uh, was beware the law of unintended consequence, which I learned from a, an old director of MS many moons ago. And um, that's been so true that, you know, when you're quick to decide something, give yourself that, again, that moment of time, think what, what could the implications of this be to make sure it's right? And there have been so many examples of that. 
Um, the fourth one is lead, don't manage, which I'll come back to because I think it plays into your question. And then the last one was the rule of common sense. You know, when everything else is going wrong uh, and you haven't got a data reference point, I think I think common sense is <laughs> and trying to just rationalise situations is is quite a good one. So so the best example of that one is when English stores closed and the deadline was the 2nd of December. Um, in lockdown one, we were in full control. We made the call to shut our shops before the government advised it. The second time around, we were all watching Boris on his delayed announcement on the Saturday mm. evening. And we, we, we guessed what was going to happen, but we didn't know. We didn't have a heads up. So we also didn't know whether that lockdown period may be extended. So we made, had to make decisions around filling up our shops. You know, we didn't have Christmas stuff in shops. But for me... The, the common sense bit was, I'm pretty sure shops are going to have to reopen given the economic conditions. So, so what are we going to do? And, and um, to come back to that lead, don't manage. I think it's about, you know, there's lots of things on different leadership. I think it's about being really in tune to how you are feeling and how your teams are feeling. Be prepared to step in and direct because during times like this, people really need that, that decision. Uh, they need the empowerment. What, they don't need to be, they don't need loads of help with stuff. A lot of the time, they just want to know what, what to do. <laughs> and then they can crack on with it. So there's been a high level of, of being decisive and managing as a, as a team of directors. And then getting the right balance between coaching and delegation. So um, it's weird, but there's been a need to be hands-on in those crisis moments because you just have to be in it. And it, and it gives people more confidence around you. But equally, the need to step back and let people that are coming in do their jobs, you know, because at different times when there are less people in the business, you're a lot more hands-on. And now sort of managing through my team has been really important. Yeah, so I guess it's setting that direction, but then being able to leave them and trust them to be able to do the job and, and give them that freedom to carry it out. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you very much for your time and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you very much, Dan. Speak to you again. All the best. Thanks.